And I pray that tonight that you'd bless the study of your word as this book was written 2,700 years ago, but inspired by you. And, and it is true for us, the things that are here, that there's application to be made. And there, there's something for us to take away tonight, that we can be edified and encouraged and taught. So, Lord, I do pray that we would be attentive, because I know that we can become drowsy and sluggish at the end of the day. And some people have been up since early and working hard. But I pray that you would just help us to be attentive in opening up our ears to hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so in the section of Isaiah in chapter 30, you might recall that uh, here is the children of Israel. It was divided at this time, the nation into two, at the time Isaiah comes on the scene, begins to minister in, in the year that, uh, that Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, as you recall, in chapter 6 of Isaiah. And, and he was called to ministry at that time. Who shall we send? And, and Isaiah says, send me, Lord. And we know that Isaiah, having this powerful ministry, the prophet on this scene, beginning to minister in these days, that there was this threat from the north, the Assyrians. And the Assyrians became very, very powerful. They, they were ones that their army grew to be where they began to march southward. And they would, in about 732 B.C., take over Syria. And we know that there's Tiglath-Pileser that's sitting on the throne there in Damascus. And, and then he comes in to take over the ten northern tribes of Israel and take them away captive. And then he begins to make his march after that, 722 B.C., into Judah. And so he's taken over the, the known Middle East and, and all the other nations would just be terrified. You see, the Assyrians, no one had seen an army like them before in history. They would come and they would intimidate you, and then they would annihilate you. They were very brutal. And we know that even the armies of, of Egypt that were powerful at one time in Ethiopia, we know during the days of Asa before this, that they had a million-man army, Ethiopia did, and they came against Judah. And Asa prayed to the Lord, and the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in that army. So here is Isaiah coming to the children of Israel who are looking to make alliance with Egypt, uh, that looking to to go and, and uh, look to their fast Arabian horses and their chariots. And we started chapter 30 with the Lord saying, Woe to the rebellious children of Israel, for you take counsel, but not of me. And he goes on and he says, you, you go down and you look to those fast Arabian horses of Egypt. They're not going to do you any good. Matter of fact, Egypt is going to be your humiliation and your shame. And it is the Lord that's saying, come back to me. And we saw that very important message that in returning and rest you shall be saved and quietness and confidence should be your strength, but you wouldn't come. So you and I, as we face the world, because in typology, Egypt is a picture of the world. And we've been brought out of Egypt. And the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. Matter of fact, we know in Deuteronomy chapter 17, before they went into the promised land, the Deuteronomy is a book. The Deuteronomy means the second law. It wasn't that there was a new law given to the children of Israel, but it's the second time that you see that the law is delivered 
to that new generation that's going to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. And in that address, uh, the last teachings of Moses, giving uh, that, that uh, law to them, to the new generation that's going to go in, uh, the old generation that came out of Egypt, they died out there in the wilderness. And so Moses given them the law for the second time. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, the Lord tells them that when you go into the land, don't go to Egypt to multiply horses. And here, that's exactly what they are doing. Go, don't go back to Egypt. And for you and for me, we've been brought out of the world, haven't we? And we're not to go back to Egypt, to look to Egypt's wisdom, to Egypt's way, the world's way, but we are to trust in the Lord. So the Lord is saying, come to me and then wait on me because I'll be gracious to those who wait on me and blessed are all those who wait on the Lord and then you will hear from me as he promises that he'll speak to us, be a word behind us saying this is the way you walk in it. So with that in mind, we see that that continues that theme as we go into chapter 31 as we read in verse 1, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses and Trust in chariots because there are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. So again, they didn't trust in the Lord, look to the Lord. They didn't desire to hear from the Lord. So they were wanting to trust in the strength and wisdom and might of Egypt. And here the Lord is saying, it's all going to be in vain. And woe to you because you're looking to Egypt. And the Lord, again, is telling us this very important message for us because here's the thing. When the Assyrians were coming and they tried to make that alliance with uh, Egypt, uh, they would go down, the ambassadors, they would pay them off. Uh, and the Egyptians were happy to take their money. But when the Assyrians showed up, the Egyptians did absolutely nothing. They would cowered over the, the Assyrian army. And they, they would tremble at their sight. And here the Lord is saying, even though you're going to Egypt and you think that they have a lot of horses and chariots and strong men, that you are to trust in me. And of course, in Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, that it is David that wrote, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And it's very important in our own lives personally, when we have a Syria or difficulty that is coming against us, and threatening us and causing fear. You see, this is what happens when fear begins to grip us. Maybe it might be concerning uh, your business or economically, your finances. Maybe your health. Maybe fear has gripped you because of uh, health reasons. Maybe it's because of relationships. Maybe it's something uh, of that nature. And we become scared. And whenever we become afraid and frightened, we begin to make unwise decisions if we're not careful and we need to stop and seek the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that we can't receive assistance in some way that is available to us or we can't go to a doctor if we're sick and, and get medical help. That's, that's not what's being told to us. But the priority for us in our lives is to seek the Lord for His wisdom and His strength because He is Almighty God. 
And he's the one, as they were backed up against the Red Sea with two mountain ranges on both sides, that the Egyptian chariots were about ready to run them over, that it is the Lord that opened up the Red Sea, made a way of escape, and then drowned the Egyptians. And they forgot about that. How God brought the plagues down upon Egypt so they can come out into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. So here they were trusting in those things. And, and we want to trust in the Lord. We want to remember the name of the Lord. And, and, and to not fear, but to trust in Him. And you might recall that it was in 2 Kings chapter 6 that there is Elijah. He's with his servant, um, and they're in the house, and all of a sudden the servant goes outside, and there's all these Syrian uh, horses and soldiers that surrounded the house, and he comes flying back in the house, and he's terrified. He said, Elijah, look at that. The Syrians have surrounded us. We're doomed. And the message of Elijah, and I just, he has a calm voice, I just picture, as he says to his servant, don't be afraid, because greater is he who are with us than those who are with them. And Lord, open up his eyes that he may see. And his eyes were opened up to where he would then be able, that servant, to look out and see all the fiery chariots and, and, and heavenly chariots, angelic beings that has surrounded the house. Greater were them than those of the world. Listen, we have the Lord on our side. And I know that we can be gripped in fear or confusion or difficulties in those times that we face in our lives that are hard. But trust in the Lord and look to him. He promises he'll never leave you or forsake you. He, he's with us and his promises are true for us. So here, once again, he wants them to turn to him, but they wouldn't come. So my question is this, because it's going to be continued to be discussed here, that they were looking to their idols rather than looking to the Lord. In those times of difficulties, in those times where we feel like the Assyrians are coming at us, or whatever it is that we're facing, where do you turn to? And who are you listening to? And who are you putting, and what are you putting your trust in? And I hope and pray for us that it's the Lord and His wisdom and that we look to Him in everything. But we continue as we read here and as we see that at verse 2, He also is wise and will bring disaster, will not call back His words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are f flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall, and he who has helped will fall down, and they will perish together. So the Lord's going to, to do to one that's able to put down the Egyptians. The Egyptians are men. Their horses are flesh. They're not God. They're not spirit. And so we have the Lord on our side. And then in verse 4, For thus says the Lord has spoken to me, as a lion roars, as a lion, young, lion, uh, uh, young lion over his prey, when a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him. He will not be afraid of their voice, nor be disturbed by their noise. So the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill, like birds flying about. So the Lord of hosts will defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over it, he will preserve it. These are kind of couple interesting verses. Now, I've told you before that as we go through the book of Isaiah, we kind of got to put on our thinking caps a little bit because that when Isaiah speaks, he can change subjects suddenly in a chapter. 
But then also, as he's given prophecies, he speaking the words of the Lord, there is near fulfillment in a lot of these prophecies that are here. Now, what we see here, that there are many scholars that believe it's talking about how the Lord's going to deliver Judah from the Assyrians, and we're going to see that in a few chapters in chapter 36. And we'll see how the Lord very miraculously and powerfully is going to defeat the Assyrian army. But also, not only is there near fulfillment, some of these prophecies would be fulfilled in just a few years or a hundred years concerning the Babylonians about 120 years later that Isaiah is speaking, or 200 years later when this, the Medo-Persian Empire defeats the Babylonians. So there's the near fulfillment, but then there's a future fulfillment as well. And that's what I believe what we're seeing here, that God's going to protect Jerusalem from the Assyrians. And also what we see is yet a future fulfillment that we're going to see that the tribulation period is going to be spoken of. And in that tribulation period, that the Lord's going to deliver Jerusalem when the nations of the world surround Jerusalem there in the Valley of Megiddo, as we read in the book of Revelation, as Zechariah chapter 14 tells us, Joel chapter 2, some of those texts tell us how Jerusalem is about ready to go under and then God's going to to save Jerusalem, is going to restore the nation of Israel as Jesus is going to come back. So we're going to be talking about those things. So here is God who's going to uh, remember Jerusalem, save Jerusalem from the Assyrians. He gives a picture of a lion standing over its prey and, and a lion that's coming to, to pounce on a prey. And, and there he says, and a multitude of shepherds is summoned against him, and he will not be afraid of their voice nor be disturbed by their noise. Um, as a lion perhaps, and it's interesting, that David, he was a shepherd, wasn't he? And he speaks about, he was good with his sling, right? That he was able to take down lions and bears. So in ancient Israel, there were lions and bears that both were in the land. And they would threaten the sheep. And whenever a lion came, the shepherds would all get together and be able to defeat that lion. And the Lord is going to defeat that lion, who is our enemy. Be watchful. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I am so thankful that we have our Lord who watches over us, the Lord who protects us from that roaring lion. Because, see, he wants to devour you, and then he wants to stand over you. He wants to just continually be there to, to try to defeat you and, and keep you down and he never gives a rest in coming against us. So we have the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is our defender, who's going to defend us. And so here is Jerusalem that's going to be saved by uh, the attacks of the Assyrians and the threats of the Assyrians. But what is interesting here in verse 5, I was thinking about this, like birds flying about, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. I was thinking about this verse last night because there's a lot that's going on in the Middle East and in Israel. I've been given updates, and I hope I, uh, I'm, it's not uh, tedious or boring to give you these updates, but we're told to be watching and discerning in the days in which we're living in. 
And as we see the tensions that are growing there in, in Israel with Iran and being entrenched in Syria and, and Russia and Turkey, and we see the stage being set for a fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39, we don't know how this latest campaign is going to to uh, end, but we do know that Ezekiel 38 is going to be fulfilled when Turkey and Russia and Iran together are going to invade the mountains of Israel. So we're seeing more of the pieces of the puzzle come together than ever before. Never in any other generation have we seen Russia and Iran and Turkey together, you know, with a common cause to come into Syria and entrench themselves in Syria. So this week, people have been asking me with our president pulling out of the current nuclear deal that was set up under the Obama uh, uh, administration and with uh, the other nations of Europe and China and with Russia as well. Um, president Trump yesterday said we're withdrawing from that treaty and, and of course, uh, if you watch the news and the current events that it was the week before that, that uh, it was Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, that addressed the nation and the world and, and presented all this evidence that they snuck out of uh, Iran, uh, Tehran. Amazing what they're able to do. Actually, the Israelis went into a warehouse in Tehran and broke into it and into their vaults and stole all this stuff, you know, hundreds of thousands of documents, CDs and, and, and books and all of this concerning their nuclear program and what they've been doing, put it in trucks, two trucks went two different directions, smuggled them out of the country, brought them back to Israel, and here's Benjamin Netanyahu presenting it to the world and saying that they're deceiving the world and they've been lying. So that was enough for our president to feel like he needs to pull out of it. And of course, there's all these comments that Europe has said, you know, it's leading to war and, and all these other things. Well, what happened yesterday when he pulled out, that there was, of course, as we've uh, been briefing you on, Israel has had some military uh, strikes against Iranian targets there in uh, Syria. Iran is wanting to, to entrench itself in Syria. So uh, the T-4 base uh, where they had uh, these, um, these military activity going on, uh, they uh, bombed that a few weeks ago, mil uh, some missile strikes, and they did that just recently. And then what they were noticing is that the Iranians were doing some unusual movements in Syria so the word came out that they were going to open up bomb shelters last night in the Golan Heights, which is northern Israel that borders there with Syria and with Lebanon, because they knew that an imminent missile attack was coming and set their jets, uh, sent their jets for another military strike against Iranian positions. So the tension's really high. And even just a few hours ago, as you were eating dinner, that Iran fired 20 missiles towards Israel. So the escalation is really increasing. It didn't do any damage. Their Iron Dome, you know, intercepted some of the missiles. So people are wondering what's going to happen. Not only did President Trump pull out of the deal, nuclear uh, deal with Iran, but he also made a statement today that if Iran 
proceeds as you look at the times of Israel. Uh, they have an article where he said that if they proceed with their nuclear program, that there's going to be serious consequences. And Saudi Arabia said if Iran's going to develop nuclear wep weapons, so are we. So we see the tension that keeps growing. And again, there's all kinds of analysis, but we're watching it. And, you know, uh, what's going to happen? We know ultimately what's going to happen. There are those who feel like Iran is pretty weak right now. They have a, a fairly weak military compared to Israel. Uh, they have internal problems in their nation. People are protesting. Uh, there's problems there. So the analysis is, is that Iran's not going to really try to do anything alone. They need backing. And what does Ezekiel 38 tell us? They're going to get that backing eventually. And it's going to come from Russia. So I'm listening to this update, you know, um, from uh, Amir that's in Jerusalem. And it's at night. And all of a sudden, you can hear fighter jets flying over Jerusalem. And he pointed it out that there's fighter jets. There's something that's going on. Well, they were headed up towards Syria for that strike. And it, it reminded me of this, like birds flying about. So will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. And here are these military F-15s and 16s, whatever they were, flying over Jerusalem. And you could hear them. And there's going to be a time, listen, that the Bible says that God's going to defend Israel. Their army is not going to be able to defend them. And there's going to be a time at the end of the tribulation period where their army is not going to be able to defend them or any other nation. It's going to be the Lord. And maybe you're here tonight and you say, I don't care about that stuff. Because I have a lot of fiery darts that the enemy's throwing at me in my life. That I want you to know that the Lord, that he's big enough to defend you. And whatever it is that you're facing... So here the Lord's going to defend Jerusalem as we continue. Return to him, verse 6, against whom the children of Israel have deeply revolted. For in that day every man shall throw away his idols of silver and idols of gold, sin which your own hands have made for yourselves. So a call to invitation, repent and turn back to him. And maybe, maybe somebody's listening to this message and you might be thinking, I've turned away from the Lord I've turned to Egypt. I've turned to the idols of my life. And the invitation of the Lord is return. It's not too late. The invitation every day is for us to return to him. And to put away those idols. So two things. When you return to him, that's number one. Second of all, then what you're to do is put away those idols. And you might be thinking, what is an idol? Well, it's simply anything that has priority over the Lord that you turn to, that you depend on, that you worship. Anything that has priority over your devotion and worship to the Lord ends up becoming an idol. And one of the lessons that we see going through those books, particularly not only of the prophets, but the historical books of the Old Testament, when you read about how the house of Israel, 19 kings they had, and they were all idol worshipers, and it went from worst, from bad to, to worse, and, and finally they would go off into captivity. They were involved in Astaroth worship and Baal worship. And the house of Judah, they were involved in worship as, as well. 
we see that here the day is going to come where they're going to put away those idols, that there's a near fulfillment that happens, that happens under the reign of Hezekiah, that there's revival that happens, but then also there is going to be that at the end of the tribulation period when they will turn to the Lord. But we know that the Lord says for us to put away those idols. And the thing is this, those idols never once helped the children of Israel. Have you ever noticed that? Not one example of those idols ever helping. Only the Lord was able to help. And that's the message for all of us here today. You see, any idol that you have is not going to be your ultimate help. It is the Lord that's your help. And he's given the invitation to put away any idol that we might have. You know, what can become an idol is, is our careers, our jobs. It, it might be our bank accounts. It, it might be ourselves. It might be, you know, even ministry can become an idol. Do you know that? That's one of the things that I have to continually be careful of, that I don't want to step over that line to where ministry is an idol. But I want to be refreshed and renewed in the Lord and He is the priority of my life and that He is the priority of this church. You see, we don't trust in the horses and the chariots of our lives, do we? This church, the thing that we are to always and the one that we're to always keep priority is the Lord. Not to trust in how big we are or if we get a bigger building someday or you know, how popular we are. Uh, we are to trust in the name of the Lord and only Him. He is our strength. And it's true for our own lives as well. So the question tonight is, is there really, in the honesty of your heart, is there any idol that is there in your life that in your hour of need that you are turning to, that you end up making a priority? And I hope that the Lord would, would very, as I know he will, compassionately say to you, put it away and return to me. And that's his desire for every single one of us. He gives that invitation. Turn away and, and from those idols. Don't keep them and turn back to me is what he would say. So in verse 8, Then Assyria shall fall by the sword and not of man. And a sword not of mankind shall devour him, but he shall flee from the sword, and his young man shall become forced labor. And he shall cross over to a stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the banner, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion, whose furnace is in Jerusalem. So some believe it's, it's making a mention here of Hezekiah, a near fulfillment again that we're going to talk about. Now Hezekiah, uh, in his time, we see the defeat that Assyria ends up falling, and, and we'll look at that more closely. Um, but Assyria is not going to fall by the hand of man or by your weapons, but by the hand of the Lord. And here is kind of interesting. I think it's a future fulfillment as well as we look at that, that he shall cross over his stronghold for fear and his princess shall be afraid uh, of the banner, says the Lord, whose fire is in Zion. And also, as we are told that we are going to be the ones that we are going to be reigning and ruling, that's our future as well. You see, in Revelation chapter 5, in that new song, I'll, I'll read it to you, that when the Lord comes back and he delivers Jerusalem and he judges the nation and establishes his kingdom, 
that we, that we're going to be a part of that, aren't we? And we know that as in Revelation chapter 5 in that new song, speaking of the Lord, you're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals and you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. That's the church, isn't it? And have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. And here is that the Lord is going to, when he comes back, a sword's going to come from his mouth, defeat those nations, and then we who are a kingdom of a priest are going to rule and reign with the Lord. And we are going to be the one that is the Lord sits on Mount Zion and rules and reigns. That's our future. So I want to encourage you, listen, this is all boot camp right now. All right? This is all boot camp. And we get to rule and reign with the Lord when he comes back. And that's going to be so incredible. And we have an incredible future. And we talked about a little bit on Sunday that Hebrews says that, you know, those Christians that were, you know, their possessions were being plundered and they were going through tribulations. And, and he even, you know, commended them on their compassion, the writer that you have compassion on me and my chains. He uh, was in prison. And so that's why there are those who believe that it was Paul the Apostle that penned the book of Hebrews. But he says that you have endurance knowing that you have an eternal inheritance that is yours, an eternal possession. And that is true for us. And I hope that we keep an eternal perspective that this is the worst that it gets for us. We are pilgrims that are just passing through. But the Lord has given us eternal life, a wonderful future. We're going to go home to be with him. And then we're going to stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. And I pray that those words are spoken to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you remember the parable of the minas in Luke's gospel, the parable of the talents that's similar in Matthew's gospel, that the servants were entrusted with talents, with the mina, and what they did in investing those things that the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. And you're going to rule over ten cities and five cities. That's our future. And we're going to be rewarded for all eternity for what we have done in, for Christ in this life. So my point is this. Make him the priority of your life. And live for him. And trust in him. Because this is boot camp. And we're pilgrims passing through. And you and I are going to rule and reign with him when he comes and establishes kingdom in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And then the heavens and earth as we know it are going to dissolve. And they have created a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and we'll dwell with him for all eternity. But I can't wait for our future. We're going to have dinner with the Lord. We're going to be rewarded. We're going to be given responsibilities, ruling over ten cities, five cities. Isn't that incredible? Paul says in Corinthians that we're going to judge the angels. And I think we're going to judge the angels. What does that mean? Well, I don't think that we're going to say you're a good angel and you're a bad angel. You know, it isn't that at all. We're going to judge the angels that they are ministering spirits that we're be, you know, hey, angel, you need to do this today and you need to do that. Isn't that kind of interesting? That's what I think is being said to us. And I think, how does Paul know that? Well, he's inspired by God. 
And I don't know about you, but that excites me. That we get to rule and reign with him. And what we do now in this life. And what you've been entrusted with. If I can entrust you with earthly manna, then I can entrust you with heavenly manna. If you're faithful in little things, they'll give you greater things to do, is what Jesus said. So what we do for Christ, that's what's going to last. And I don't want a whole lot of wood hands double to burn up when I stand at the Bama reward seat. I want the gold and the silver to just shine forth. And I long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. But I'm going to make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I long for the Lord to say those words to you. So let's put away the chaff and the wood, hay, and the stubble and the idols and let's live for the Lord. We live in days where we're seeing things come to pass that point to the soon return of Jesus Christ. And he said, when you see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice, for your redemption draws near. And that excites me so much that we live in unique days, but also we live in very perilous times as well. So let's be light and truth to others. And let's live for the Lord. And, and, and let's make him the priority of every area of our lives. And here is, it says that it talks about the Lord here. The sword not of man, the sword not of mankind shall devour him. But he shall flee from the sword. Young men shall become forced labor. But as we read that, know this, not only the sword of the Lord. Know this, that you do have a sword So take it with you. As you put on the whole armor of God, you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have your sword, so keep it close to you and keep it in your heart. And as you submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. And how did Jesus defeat Satan in the temptation? He quoted the Word of God. And as the enemy comes against you, you have a sword. You have the Word of God. And take that word of God out into this dark world to give truth and light to others. So as we continue, let's a few minutes go into chapter 32. As we read, behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule with justice. And again, that's what reminds me we're going to rule and reign with him. And a man will be a hiding place from the wind and a cover from the tempest. As rivers of water in a dry place is a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. So near fulfillment is going to be Hezekiah that's going to reign with righteousness. He's a great king. You can read about him. Second Kings chapters 18 through 20 and Second Chronicles chapter 29 through 32. But here as it says, and princes will rule with justice. We're going to be a part as when it speaks here and who it speaks of, of Jesus Christ. He is the king of righteousness. He is perfectly righteous. And we're going to rule and reign with him. And as we continue, and man will be as a hiding place from the wind, a cover from the tempest, the rivers of water in a dry place, as the shadow of a great rock in a weary land. The eyes of those who see will not be dim, and the ears of those who hear will listen. Verse 4, also the heart of the, the rash will understand knowledge, and the tongue of the 
stammerers will be ready to speak plainly. So as we look at this, we know that there's going to be spiritual revival. It happens not only in the day of Hezekiah, but it's going to be like refreshing waters to the people. Those who, you know, uh, could see are going to see better. You're going to be able to speak clearly. And that's what I pray for us. That as we continue in the Word of God being refreshed, in the Word of God, that we're going to be able to see clearly spiritually, that we're going to be able to speak more clearly the things of God and the truth of God as He works in our lives and plants His Word in our hearts. And then in verse 5, the foolish person will no longer be called generous, nor the miser said to be bountiful, but for the foolish person will speak foolishness and his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error against the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied, and he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. In verse 7, also the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words, even when the needy speaks justice. But a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. During this revival, there's going to be spiritual integrity. The people's foolishness and wicked plans are going to be exposed. Righteousness and sinfulness is going to be seen clearly. Now, that's not happening today. Oh, it is with the people that know the Word of God, who stand on the Word of God. But I think that today, certainly in the world, but unfortunately even in a lot of the church, that there is not a whole lot of spiritual discernment. The people are willing to, to call uh, evil good and, and good evil. They claim to name the, the name of Jesus Christ. And we see that more and more even in the, ch the church at large today. Uh, a dismissing of the truth of God's word and accepting of, of that which is sin. So there's not a lot of spiritual discernment. Listen. The reason, one of the reasons that we go through the Word of God is that you may have discernment. And if you don't know the Word of God, you're going to get deceived. You're going to be deceived in the day in which we're living in because there's too many voices and deception that's out there. And when the Lord comes back, all that's going to go away. There's going to be spiritual integrity. The fool's going to be seen as a fool. The sinner, you know, is going to be seen as sin. Uh, it's going to be seen clearly. Um, the wicked plans are going to be exposed. So there's going to be spiritual discernment, and we need to have discernment in the day in which we're living in. And then rise up, you women who are at ease, and hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech in a year, and some days you will be troubled, you complacent women, for the vintage will veil. The gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent ones. Stripe yourselves, make yourselves bare, and gird sackcloth for your way. So here there's this, this message against the women who were self-reliance and complacent. Don't worry, ladies. He also condemns the men in a lot of these places, you know, verses. So in general, there was just that self-reliance and complacency and sluggishness and a shallowness that was in their spiritual lives. And it's very easy to get in that condition when we're not trusting the Lord. It's very easy to become complacent and sluggish in our own lives. So Jesus comes along and he says this, that you be the wise one that's building a, a house upon a firm foundation, that when the storms come, 
that that house is able to stand because it was built upon the rock. That is the one that is wise, that hears these sayings of mine and does them. Don't be like the foolish one who builds a house upon the sand. And when the storms come and the rain beats against the house and the wind blows, great is the fall of that house. That is the one that's foolish who hears these saying of mine but doesn't do them. So I got a question. We're going to close just one more minute. The Assyrians were coming and they were very complacent. And Jesus says to us that you will have storms, you will have tribulation in life. I think most of us, we know that. So the question is this, as we go to the Lord tonight. What are you building upon? Are you building really your life upon the rock, Jesus Christ? Or are you building upon the sand? And when the storms come, which they will come into our lives... Are you going to be able to stand because you've been building upon Jesus Christ? Oh, we can call out to him any time. He calls us to return to him, but what are you building on? What are you building on today to prepare for the storm that comes tomorrow? And I pray that all of us, that we would be building upon the solid rock, Jesus Christ. Don't get complacent and don't get sluggish and sleepy spiritually. Let's keep moving on, moving forward in the things of the Lord. So, Father, we thank you. As we stop here, Lord, I, I thank you that we can come to this place where Isaiah speaks so many things to us that excite us, but also, Lord, just the warnings that are given to us. And, Lord, what I pray is that the message tonight through your word is that we wouldn't trust in Egypt, and, but we would turn to you and put aside the idols of our lives that can come in and Lord, also that we wouldn't become complacent, lazy, sluggish spiritually, but be continuing to look and to watch. We have the sword of the Spirit, the promises that you give us, the Spirit of God that dwells in our hearts, to strengthen us. So Lord, I thank you for that. And may we be ones that our priority is you in every area of our lives trusting in you and I know that perhaps there are some that are here tonight or listening on live stream that maybe you're going through difficulties challenges things that make you afraid that you would call upon him that you would wait on him and you're going to hear from him and be directed comforted and strengthened by him that, Lord, do you give us the peace that passes understanding and a peace that rules in our hearts. That you would be our provider. And, Lord, that we would know that eternity awaits for us a wonderful future where we're going to rule and reign with you. Even as the king of righteousness will come back, we're going to come back with you. And what an exciting time. So, Lord, may you be the priority. May you be the rock in which we build our, our lives upon. And Lord, may you be the one that we look to. Lord, for our hope, to be good stewards of what you've given to us. Because we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. 
Father, I pray if there's anyone that's listening tonight that maybe you've never embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you would know that Jesus came and died for you and he is your hope, your only hope. That he is your salvation. He is your provision of forgiveness of sin as he died on the cross for you. Because we've all sinned and sin has separated us from God is what the Bible says. But Jesus died for your sins. And he said, it is finished from the cross. That he did the work and paid the price. And then he was put into a tomb and he rose again. And if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved, is what the Bible says. That as you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, we're told that you will be saved sincerely as you come and recognize your need to be forgiven. And the surrender to Jesus as your Lord and Savior because he proved that he's the Son of God by conquering sin and death. So the invitation is come. Turn away from the world. Repent and turn to Jesus. So that means anything to anyone here, pray in your heart, Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you forgive me my sins. I am a sinner. I believe you rose from the grave. You're alive. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior tonight and for every day. I want to know you and walk with you. Thank you for this new beginning. I want to serve you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. In just a minute, we're going to have a ministry come up. And if that's you, you prayed, or maybe tonight that you need prayer, you've been struggling, maybe in some area of hanging on to an idol or just being sluggish or complacent, we want to pray for you. Not here to judge you, but pray for you and encourage you in any way. So come up and receive prayer. So Lord, as we go our way, just bless everyone here. Bless our night. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?